Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dual Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian newspaper, taking you through another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and WA Basketball to give you the best insight possible into what's happening in the sport throughout this state. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by Perth Lynx import Robbie Ryan to take us through her remarkable story and what it's taken her to become a key part of the WNBL. And then we'll get right into the Bryce Cotton citizenship issue and the NBL MVP debate ahead of what will be a crucial final week of the season. Now, we are recording this at 1.25pm on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, There is a developing story happening with Bryce Cotton as we speak. Uh, I've received some uh, responses to some questions from the Australian Olympic Committee. I've been trying to get the Perth Wildcats to uh, come on and answer the phone at this point of the day. They are in some meetings at the moment. So there is a fair chance that during the podcast you won't have all the answers, but we'll be able to direct you in the way to come up with what appears to be the final answer as to why Bryce Cotton is not an Australian citizen. So I'll provide some more details for you uh, post-Robbie Ryan interview uh, with another 20 minutes or so up my sleeve to try to work on that. Now, the Perth Lynx are absolutely rampant at the moment. They've just won seven games in a row, and their import has produced one of the most remarkable transitional parts of a season that you will ever see after being named in WNBL's Team of the Week. Her name is Robbie Ryan, and she is here to be a guest on the Dribble Podcast. Robbie Ryan, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Seven in a row. It's a streak that the Perth Lynx are flying on at the moment. It's a rare moment in basketball to get to that sort of figure, especially for this club in the past. How much fun is it to be playing in this team right now? Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I think we're just really focusing on ourselves and just gelling well right now. And yeah, just having fun in, on the court. So, so the last time the Lynx won seven in a row was during their record-breaking 14-game streak in 2017-18. So, and before that, it was years before. So what's the secret to getting on a run like this? Um, I think not focusing on it. <laughs> We've really just been focusing on ourselves and not really worrying about outside factors and just um, working on us and what will work best for us, um, for us to play our best. So I think that's been our secret. <laughs> As I said, personally, you were named in the team of the week this week, and to, to achieve that in a two-game stretch against both Melbourne and Bendigo, who are also flying, was was quite remarkable. And the reason I say that is, for those who may not recall, Robbie's first two WNBL games this season were against those teams, and the Boomers absolutely went after you. They were in your face, full-court pressure, on debut in that first game. Let's have a listen to some of the audio to see what it was like for you at that moment. Welcome to the league for Robbie Ryan. Perth's import stripped to the ball first time down the court by Christy Wallace. And she goes to the line for the and one. Christy Wallace causing havoc early. Robbie Ryan doesn't know what she's in for. And then you compare that to on Sunday against the same opponent and you produce 19 points, six rebounds, four assists, two steals. And this audio is much more enjoyable to listen to. Wallace coughs it up. Ryan down the other end makes them pay. The same is happening now as Ryan adds two more. But oh, Ryan! Wow, that was um, AFLW-esque, I reckon, taking a specky. Crossed with rugby, crossed with a bit of everything. Yeah, I don't don't even think Goodchild knew what hit her. It's a fair performance on the weekend. You must be feeling on top of the world. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I'm just really enjoying the way our team's been playing, and obviously winning seven in a row is great, and the last game when um, all 10 players played and scored is a really big highlight for, for me especially. I thought that was great for us, so it's just been fun. So let's go back to that first game. On debut, 
in Perth, grand final rematch, but you weren't part of the roster last year, and but they treated you like you were the superstar of the team. It felt like a tornado of pressure that they were applying on you. I can only imagine what you were thinking when you went to the bench for a rest after a couple of minutes as they'd been in your face and forcing turnovers. What was that like? Um, yeah, to be honest, it was uh, obviously not very fun. It was pretty tough. Um, as a competitor, you obviously you don't want to start, start that way in any game, let alone your first game in a new season but um it definitely like took me aback a little bit and uh, just the headspace I was in before even going in um it really challenged me and obviously didn't really bounce back right away so uh it's just something I I took and try to learn from so then you fast forward a little bit and you, you broke your face open in the game against Canberra in the third match of the season and were in doubt to play against Sydney in the fourth game with a suspected fractured eye socket but you played and you totally changed that game. You came in off the bench um, because of the concerns of your eye, and in the last quarter had nine points, four assists, three rebounds, two steals to turn an eight-point deficit for the team into an eight-point win, and you were the difference. What was that game like for you to change the way you felt about the entire league at that point? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I just slowly started getting settled a little bit, um, having bits uh, where I felt more comfortable and um, playing like myself. And um, I think with the eye and stuff, I was like, you know, just going to go out there, do my best and just kind of worry about, uh, you know, like the little things, just hustling and being there for my teammates and just focusing on those little things that um, ultimately led to, to bigger things help us win. And you mentioned your headspace before, and you've been really open uh, throughout your entire athletic career about the mental health battles that you have faced throughout y- your life and the challenges that exists around that. But being on the big stage like the WNBL, I'd imagine, only adds to those pressures. What have you done to work through that to be ready for these sorts of moments? Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, you go through different seasons, you know, where where you can go and coast and be fine, and other seasons where you... Um, uh, got to do a little bit more to stay on top of things. So I've just been kind of in a season where I got to be more uh, diligent and mindful about the tools I use and preparing for, for certain things and just, you know, from day to day. And especially being um, an athlete and wanting to excel, um, putting that extra pressure on myself hasn't helped, especially at the beginning of the season. So um, I decided to kind of take a step back and figure out what was the best approach to get into the headspace that would help me be me, you know? So, um, really tapping into meditation and breathing has really helped anchor me, uh, these past couple weeks. Um, so those are kind of like the major things I think that have really helped me to, to start settling in. So you're in a really unique position this year as the sole import and especially being a, a sole importer who hasn't come through the system. A lot of WNBA players come through when they're an import. So you look at last year and <laughs> the club had Jackie Young, who's a WNBA championship winner, and Marina Mabry, a, a top 20 draft pick, and they've had Ariel Atkins in the past who's won a championship as well, and top 10 pick like Marnie McGee-Stafford, Asia Taylor, former <coughs> WNBA player, top 10 pick, and USA squad member Courtney Williams, and then you're still working your way through hoping to achieve those sorts of dreams. Did you feel pressure to be that import rather than the player that you were coming as and what they're expecting you to be in you? Yeah, I mean, nobody directly told me you know, had those expectations or expected that of me and put that pressure on me. But I mean, naturally, you know, it's kind of like in the back of your mind um, as an athlete. And obviously I want to, I want to play well and I want to play at the highest level. So um, I think maybe in the background, I put some of that pressure on myself. And so that along with the headspace I've been, uh, was in and just newly getting adjusted um, 
it definitely was in the back of my mind. But as the weeks started going on, I just started to focus more on myself and the type of play I am and what I could bring to my team to help us win, whether that's a role player for that game or uh, trying to step up and score in moments when we need. And being a point guard is kind of new to me <laughs> a little bit. I didn't ever play point guard in college, so I'm still trying to figure out the role as a facilitator and really trying to learn and grow from those around me. Because you've been a scorer in the past, haven't you? We saw that NBL One West level and, and throughout all your entire junior career or whatever you want to call it in, in America, um, you've been the person who, who just goes out and says, I'm winning this team the game. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never really um, appreciated the point guard position as much as I should have uh, until <laughs> until now being a point guard. Um, it gets a little difficult sometimes, uh, at least for me, like, you know, especially at the beginning, whether to facilitate or look to score and I was really in my head about that um and Ryan just kept encouraging me just to play and, and to be me and um took a bit to figure it out but um starting to get there Ryan's an amazing coach with his ability to to work these relationships with people did he sit you down at any point or just have a casual conversation and say we don't want Jackie Marina all these sorts of people from you we want you because that's why we recruited you don't worry about them just worry about you uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's. Um, we've had a, a couple of chats here and there, and just he see, especially at the beginning, like he saw bits of me. You know, that's uh, why he brought me in, and could tell something was holding me back a little bit, and just encouraged me to to keep playing and be aggressive and just go out there and and be me. So that's helped. What are you comfortable sharing with? the listeners about your your mental health battles have you got a diagnosis you're comfortable chatting about or what you do day to day to live your life because there are a lot of people who'd be going through the same sort of thing as you yeah i mean um i guess i've shared my story before so don't feel too uncomfortable sharing um still not something i regularly bring up but yeah like in college diagnosed with uh depression and anxiety and um have had to work through that and um, obviously it's an ongoing journey and it's not something you know, you're ever going to be completely over with. So just kind of day-to-day stuff. Um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, kind of go through seasons, you know, so my relationship and where I'm at with my mental health, uh, will change as the months come and go and the weeks even. So just kind of focusing the day-to-day stuff, uh, like the meditation and the breathing and all that, like the la- last couple months probably haven't been my best so really have had to be mindful and hone in on those tools so um i think a big thing is just being aware of yourself and to learn um as much as you can about yourself and how to help yourself in those situations so uh yeah that's just what i've really been focused on so we record this on a tuesday and this morning a media release came through saying that the australian institute of sport mental health audit run by the mental health research institute oregon um showed 50 percent of the 305 athletes who took part in a survey this year sought treatment for mental health in 2022 which was up by 11 percent uh, of participants in 2018 which is great it's, it does show that people like yourself are prepared to say you know, it's, the stigma is disappearing and people are a lot more comfortable about talking about it and that changes lives doesn't it yeah no i'd agree i think it's um it's great that more people are speaking up and talking about it and um especially as athletes i think there's so much pressure not just externally but just what athletes put on themselves so especially in high performance areas um it can be a lot so um it's really great to to have those resources for the athletes now for the listeners robbie and i spoke yesterday in a pre-chat ahead of this to make sure that she was comfortable with speaking about any subjects and to reduce any anxiety that she may have around that and that's another thing you can certainly do when you are not the person who is feeling the way robbie is when you're the me you can do whatever you can possibly do to 
find out more information when you are trying to discuss things with people and hopefully that makes life a little bit easier. Mental health certainly doesn't discriminate because you are an absolute star athlete and this is some of the things you've done over your career. Ryan for three. Finds Bibby. Ryan for three. And Ryan hits it in the three-point shooting. Arizona State has an opportunity to take its first lead of the game. Ryan for three. So Robbie Ryan scored once 50 of her team's 70 points in a high school game. She was named Ms. Wyoming Basketball in 2016. Have a listen to this. She's a three-time All-State soccer player, including her state's Gatorade Player of the Year, and she's a two-time state representative in volleyball. Now, on behalf of all normal people who struggle to excel at one sport, I'm going to say we're a little bit jealous and I think a lot of people would hate you. Um <laughs> How have you managed to be good at everything? <laughs> um, I don't know about everything, but uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a smaller town uh, and in a big family. I have four older siblings and my parents are involved in sports and so are all my brother and sisters. Uh, so I just kind of did whatever they did growing up. And um, yeah, I just love being outside, love playing, love competing. Um, so I just did a little bit of everything growing up and just kept doing it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's about it. Volleyball intrigues me. Like you're not tall. Um, what, was that something that you use your athleticism around with that, or, or mobility? How did you manage to become good at volleyball? Um, I mean, I think Ryan would definitely agree with you that I'm not tall. So, <laughs> well, actually, I used to play like um, football, American football, when I was little uh, with the boys. So I knew when I got to high school that I wouldn't be able to keep playing. So I started transitioning into volleyball because I guess why not? So. Um, that's kind of, kind of got into volleyball and I used to be able to jump pretty high before, um, I had two ankle surgeries. So, uh, just, yeah, I guess use my athleticism for it, but it was pretty fun. And what about soccer? What, what lured you to soccer? Yeah. Once again, like all my older siblings had played soccer before and I just like being outside. Um, like the game, I really enjoy soccer and yeah, I think kind of any competitive sport I was drawn to. So why basketball in? Was that, that your one you were clearly the best at, or, or was it the one you most you enjoyed the most when you started to dedicate yourself to that? Um, yeah, I think a bit of both. Um, I think it's one of the sports I excelled the most at, and just the competitiveness um, mixed with kind of like the IQ side and the and the physicalness of basketball. I think really drew me to it, and how much more you can improve in the game of basketball. And now you're traveling the world, uh, starting with Iceland, which uh, where you averaged 23 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2.5 steals per game last year. What was Iceland like? Um, yeah, it was uh, incredible, actually. So beautiful. Um, I love the outdoors and being adventurous, trying new things. So um, I didn't really know much about Iceland before going to, to play there. So it was really like a great experience to travel around. It's one of the most beautiful places I've seen with all the waterfalls and just beautiful like landmarks and stuff that they have there and then yeah gotta keep playing basketball and um yeah i really enjoyed my experience there so minimum of negative six in iceland today and a top temperature of two and back in your hometown in wyoming it's going to be negative 21 tonight meanwhile it's 35 degrees in perth which brings me to a really obvious question (laughs) why australia (laughs) um yeah the weather is pretty great here um I went to college in Arizona, so it's kind of similar heat to to Aussie at the moment. But, I mean, Australia is – I never really thought about um, what it would be like, but it's just so beautiful, so nice. I guess why not come here, you know, play basketball and be able to live here. And you're staying for next NBL 1 West season, that's correct? 
Yes. So you must be really looking forward to the opportunity to, to, to play there again because you really do seem to have found yourself a, a real home both on and off the court uh, in, in Perth at the moment. Yeah, it was just kind of a home away from home for me and the community of girls there. They're so great, so genuine, and uh, the coaches and everything. It was just a uh, really good connection, really great uh, chemistry there, and uh, I've been very grateful for that. So um, I'm happy to go back. This team at the Lynx looks really, really tight-knit. It feels like that's one of the keys to uh, the way you play. When I watch you, it feels like it's more what's happening off the court that is helping you on the court. Uh, Does it feel like this group is really unique in how well you have got got along and meshed? Yeah, I think um, as the season's gone on and we've gotten closer and um, I think like the relationship piece is is really important. Um, Well, especially for me, but I think kind of for any team to – to have a relationship with uh, your team members and be able to have fun and joke around and uh, also care for each other. And I think that uh, ultimately would will translate onto the floor for you. So, um, yeah, I think that's been good for us. So seven in a row, and you've done it the hard way lately. Like You've beaten Southside when you just knew you had to go in and win that game. There was just no way you could possibly lose it or else you were in all sorts of strife again. Then you go on the road. And it's like, can you possibly win three games in a row in quick succession? And the answer was, yeah, we can do that. We can knock off Sydney. We can knock off Bendigo. And then we can go without Sammy Wickham and beat Melbourne on their home court. Next challenge is two home games against Townsville. Wednesday at 6.30 and then Saturday at 6.30. What's it going to take to, to now add this to two more wins to this against the Fire and make it nine in a row? Um, you know, just I think just once again, focus on us and... I'm not really worrying about all the external factors, but just just us and what we need to do to help um, ourselves succeed and, and play our best. That's kind of how we have been taking it so far, day by day, game by game. So, um, yeah, I think that will be good for us if we do that. So the latter situation is really clear. Win both and the links become 11-5 compared to Townsville's 10-6. If it changes in one way or the other, it will have a dramatic impact on the ladder regardless. And the good news is that Sammy Wickham has recovered from her back injury and will play. How exciting is it to know that you're on this role and now Sammy's going to be fit again? Yeah, no, obviously um, we'd love to have Sammy rather without her. but <laughs> So it's just it's really uh, great to have her back and I uh, can't wait to play with her. Does it feel like opportunity is knocking now for this team that you worked out what you need to do to play well, you're playing really well and you're rising up the ladder at the right time? Yeah, I uh, made a joke earlier in the season uh, when we we're still trying to figure things out, and I was like, guys, we don't want to peak too early, you know? <laughs> um, uh, it was kind of a joke, but um, obviously we started to figure things out um, compared to the beginning of the season. So, um, yeah, I really like the way we've been playing and gelling together. And we're going to see more of the physical Robbie like, winning contested balls on the ground, diving around and taking speckies, as I said, after the, um, that re- rebound late in the game against Melbourne. Is that, the, is that the style of play from the American football days and the soccer days <laughs> and the volleyball days? Is that, is that what we're going to see more of in the coming games? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> Could we see you back playing American football one day, Eric, like, on the streets with your mates and stuff like that? Is that, is that, is that the, the physical side of life that you really enjoy? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely am a, am a physical person, so I like I like physical sports. Um, maybe I'll try footy one day. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this much. You want to get out of her way because she's a tough <laughs> unit, that's that's for sure. Well, look, 
I really appreciate you joining us and I appreciate your openness on your life. It's not an easy situation to come and talk publicly about these sorts of things. And as I said, we spoke uh, yesterday to make sure there was nothing we were going to go down the path of that could trigger you. But um, it's been really fun watching you do your, your stuff all season. Um, I know there's a lot of people in the crowd who have been up and about every single game in, in Perth, really enjoying the fact that you're having this success. So hopefully it continues and good luck this weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now, the NBL season is going down to the wire and what a week we are in for and what a week it has already been. Since our last episode, Bryce Cotton scored 40 points in one of the most remarkable games he has ever produced, but the Wildcats then lost to Tasmania and their season still hangs in the balance with two games remaining. Now, set off the top, there's been some stuff going on with Bryce Cotton and if you've read the West Australian newspaper or logged on to the west.com.au on Friday, you would have seen the story I wrote about Bryce's citizenship application. Bryce received his Distinguished Talent Visa in February 2021. I submitted a Freedom of Information request to the government asking how many people who have received either a Distinguished Talent Visa or Global Talent Visa in 2021 have since become Australian citizens. Those figures are important because those visas give people permanent residency and the normal person must wait 12 months to even apply for citizenship after gaining that permanent residency. But the government has the power to fast-track some applications under the talent visa system. We all think Bryce should be at the front of that queue, but 68 people have been fast-tracked ahead of him. Now, I reckon that's a big number because there aren't many jobs where people need to be fast-tracked to dramatically change their life, and Bryce can't represent Australia without his citizenship, which means that would dramatically change his life. Now, I've put some questions to some key people after receiving some information, and I went to the Australian Olympic Committee and asked them the question, have you provided a letter of support for Bryce Cotton to become an Australian citizen fast-tracked-wise? So have you given the Home Affairs Office the letter that they require under the Australian Citizenship Act, which will mean that you can recommend to them and tell them that he is part of your plans for the Olympic Games. And the answer came back as, quite simply, the capacity of the AOC to provide this type of support is a significant privilege for Australian sport, which the AOC exercises judiciously. Whilst there was an initial request from Basketball Australia in relation to Bryce Cotton's citizenship application in 2022, the request was withdrawn after discussion about the requirements for the AOC's report. In a nutshell, Bryce Cotton has not become fast-tracked to become an Australian citizen because Basketball Australia does not feel he will be part of their Olympic plans for Paris in 2024. He was part of their plans for Tokyo in 2021. When you consider that Matisse Thibault played in 2021 as a dual citizen and only one dual citizen or naturalised player is permitted to be selected under FIBA rules, that is a challenge for Bryce to get into the team. And when you look at the players who play Bryce's position and can play as a point guard or as a shooting guard, there's a, a number of them in the NBA at the moment. You look at Josh Giddy flying, Paddy Mills doing so much work, and Josh Green and Dyson Daniels, we can go on and on and on. It's clearly the belief of Basketball Australia that Bryce Cotton isn't guaranteed to get into that team now. And that is why they haven't supported Bryce. And that makes him a normal citizen again. And he will have to wait and go through the process like everybody else, which means he's a chance not to even be an Australian citizen by the time the next NBL season begins. It might happen midway through next season, but he's not guaranteed. Bryce is back in the pack with everybody else. And that's 
Surprising that he is not considered part of BA's plans, but that's the answer. We've been waiting for a long time. That is the answer, and you will read more of that in the West Australian newspaper and at thewest.com.au. Hopefully, post-recording this, we'll be able to get the Wildcats to comment on that information from the Australian Olympic Committee. Now, there's the, the NBL MVP debate. The NBL have announced their nominees for the MVP awards, which we presented on February 7. That's two days after the season ends. Coaches and captains were asked to vote on a shortlist, which was selected by a panel of experts throughout the country. Bryce Cotton, Xavier Cooks and Mitch Creek are the top three vote-getters for the MVP award, but we don't know what order they have finished in. The problem is that the votes were submitted before the weekend when Bryce Cotton scored 40 points. Uh, Xavier Cooks had a triple-double and Mitch Creek has produced 29 points, 9 rebounds and 3 steals. Surely, in 2023, we can have a system where the votes are done after the final game. This has all the hallmarks of the 2002 AFL Grand Final when Norm Smith medal judges were required to submit their votes midway through the final quarter. Nathan Buckley from Collingwood won the medal despite Brisbane winning that grand final in a close contest. In the days after the flag was won, three of the five judges who had submitted their votes midway through the final quarter admitted they would have changed their votes and rated Brisbane captain Michael Voss higher if they had been able to take his brilliant finish to the grand final into account. Would Buckley have still won? We don't know. Would Voss have won it? We don't know. But we know that the votes would have been different. And the AFL changed their system afterwards and said, we can't be doing this mid-game anymore. We have to wait until after the final siren. And you'd think the NBL need to do that in the future as well, especially when there's two days between the final game and the awards. But here's another really interesting element of the awards. The Allen Border Medal for Australia's Best Cricketer was announced on Monday. The votes are collated under a 3-2-1 system after every single game. The Brownlow Medal for the AFL's Best and Fairest is done under a 3-2-1 system after every single game. So is Rugby League's Dallier Medal. The Norm Smith Medal for Best on Ground in an AFL Grand Final is 3-2-1. The Perth Wildcats MVP Award is Game by Game 3-2-1. The Larry Sengstock Medal for the NBL Grand Final MVP is 3-2-1. So you've got to wonder why we have a system whereby we nominate a group of players on their season on what a lot of important people think and then ask the coaches and captains to vote on their opinions on that rather than just going 3-2-1 after every single game. Having coaches and captains vote on their opinions is unique to Australian sport. The NBA, NFL, NHL and Major League Baseball all follow that sort of a voting system. Um, But this is definitely different for Australian sport. Now, regardless of who wins the MVP award, they will deserve it. Those three guys have been outstanding all year. You couldn't argue that any of them don't deserve to win it. So congratulations to whoever will eventually get that. But I think you can remove a lot of the controversy that can follow by making it 3-2-1 after every single game. And then we know exactly what's happened. If you miss games, you miss out. If you play more games in winning teams, you're probably going to get more votes. All those sorts of things are a lot, lot simpler. So can the Wildcats make it to the play-in tournament? That's the question at the moment. It's really, really tight, not only for wins, but for percentage. So for the benefit of this exercise, let's imagine that Melbourne United win on the weekend against Adelaide and Tasmania win over Illawarra on Saturday as well. Both those teams playing teams who are below them on the ladder. That would make Melbourne 15 wins, Tassie 16 wins, and South East Melbourne's season is finished there on 15 wins too. If the Wildcats beat Cairns on Friday night, they will join the Phoenix and United on 15 wins and have to beat Sydney on Sunday in the last game of the season to guarantee that top six finish. Otherwise, it comes down to percentage. 
Now, we all know it's hard to calculate percentage on the run, but these circumstances are a little bit more different given they're all sitting around 100%-ish. So if they all finish on 15 wins, the Phoenix are in. They've scored 41 more points than they've conceded this year. That takes them beyond exactly 100% uh, in the figures at the moment. Right now, the Wildcats have only scored 13 points more than they've conceded. Melbourne have scored one more point than they've conceded. So... Neither of those two teams are going to catch South East Melbourne, but the question is, if the Wildcats lose to Sydney on Sunday, will the combination of their winning margin against Cairns on Friday minus their losing margin on Sunday be enough to stay in front of Melbourne's points for and points against if Melbourne win? It will be a day of getting your calculators out. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Dribble Podcast. Remember, we will have more news on Bryce Cotton in the West Australian newspaper and at thewest.com.au. This is the answer to the story we've been talking about for years. So make sure you stay tuned with us as we give you all of this important information on Bryce Cotton. Thank you so much to Robbie Ryan for her time. She was a fantastic guest, uh, and it's fantastic to see her handling her life so well and performing so well for the Perth Links. Thank you to the wonderful Kate Ryan for her production work. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Dribble Podcast.